I love that spirit uh, on the worship team. Uh, I've, I've um, made it clear myself that what I would really love is for the worship team to be better and better, more and more worshipful. I have the same aspiration for y'all. <laughs> it's, it's not just them. But for those that have been charged in leading in worship, it, it is the vision in my head that they wouldn't turn a switch on and off on Sunday morning, where suddenly they're worship leaders for an hour and a half, and then they're not for whatever, how many hours are left in the week, but that they would get into a space where they're always worshipful, always worshiping, and when they show up on Sunday morning, when they show up to practice, they're worshiping, and that we could just gather around and in that space and worship with them. And so for me, it's a huge win that they are inviting us to join them in a practice. How great is that? They're saying, look, we're going to get together and practice, and for practice them, for them is just learning again to worship, and they're inviting you to be a part of it. So take advantage of that. Uh, move into that space. They, they would love to have you. And the truth of the matter is, the more of us that can learn how to worship more regularly and more consistently in our life, uh, we're going to find ourselves more fulfilled, more full of joy, more in alignment with the will of God. It's not something we want to click on and off, but it's something we want to be all the time. I'm so proud of and happy that we have the worship team that we do. They do a phenomenal job of leading us, and they're doing a great job of growing and deepening their own commitment to Christ. So um, thank you, team. Uh, you're, you're awesome. Happy Mother's Day. Let me throw my uh, congratulations to all of you that have made it through another year as mothers. <laughs> this has been, <laughs> woo, this has been a year, and you did it. Uh, one of the greatest acts of service in this lifetime is to be a good mother if you've been blessed with that responsibility. And it's made exceedingly hard if your own mother was absent and left you with a, a faulty template or no template at all. Uh, in any case, whatever the capacities um, that have been ordained by God for you as a mother, thank you for the way you are living it out. I don't know, I would imagine maybe every generation might say something like this, but the world and the children of this world um, need, maybe more than ever, your consistency, your intentionality, your hard-nosed, warm-hearted unconditional love, maybe now more than ever. I'm really deeply grateful to, uh, beyond words, really, to my own mom and uh, the mom of our boys. Both of them have done an amazing job of the exceedingly difficult balance of holding us close and letting us go. Uh, that's what moms do. Happy Mother's Day to every one of you moms. Welcome to Vista. If you're uh, in the room, thank you for being here. It's great. We continue to see more and more of you on a weekly basis. Um, super glad to have you. If you're at home and online, uh, you're part of the family. If you're downloading us in the future, same deal. We're glad you're with us. Here's what I hope. Um, I hope you experience uh, God in a fresh way. Um, I hope you're postured that way. I hope you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for God to uh, interrupt your thinking and interrupt your uh, experience and, and, and meet you in a way that's uh, unique and meaningful, maybe even in a healing way. I hope you're refueled this morning. 
I hope you're you're refueled. Wherever you're sitting, I hope that you sense God filling you up for the week ahead uh, that he has called you into, that he has given you breath to live. I hope you are refueled, and uh, I hope you find some practical steps, steps that allow you to follow Jesus more consistently, more closely in the ways that he's called you to follow him. I hope all of those things for all of us this morning. If you've got questions, please find a way to ask them. If you're uh, part of the family, please find a way to give. If you're in search of uh, greater connection and encouragement, please find your way into a group of uh, Christian friends, a a Vista group, uh, some kind of biblical community. That's where you're going to find some of the most significant encouragement uh, from others. And let me ask you to keep praying. (laughs) Yeah. Can I ask you to keep praying? Keep praying as we find our way forward uh, as this pandemic uh, starts to lose its steam, at least on some levels. Everything seems a little bit different, in some ways a lot different, um, including you and I. (laughs) We're different. Keep praying. The 30th of this month, we will be officially gathering on a weekly basis. Uh, The next two weeks are live streams and getting ready for that. We'll be going week to week, February or uh, May 30th, uh, here in the North Central facility. Please put September 12th on your calendar. Uh, What we're planning to do is celebrate (laughs) all that God has done, the different ways that he's changed us, uh, what we anticipate him doing. We will celebrate in advance. And what we're hoping to have happen by the time we get to the 12th is that we will be in two facilities, again, not just the North Central, but in the Northwest. Did I I mention to keep praying? Please (laughs) keep praying. We're leaning into this uh, idea called Bless, reading a book by some friends of ours, the Ferguson Brothers. Uh, It's a model for practical, very practical, yet very powerful helps, ways to love your neighbor. If you're not reading that book, I would encourage you to pick one up. If you you want to be a part of a group that's studying, it's never too late. Uh, We want everybody to understand this model. Let me, let me tell you why. There's actually a lot of reasons why. But there's one in particular. And this is it. Watch this. The best and the truest discipleship has always happened person to person. Right? The, 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 the way that God uh, orchestrates a person's life unto himself almost always comes through a trusted relationship. Think of your own life and how you eventually came to Christ, and I'll bet you can name the people that made that happen, that were a part of that process. That has been the way since Jesus called the church into existence, person to person. This model, this book that we're looking at, really, really practical ways to build relationships with other people with the intention of leading them into the story of Christ and potentially into his arms. The healthy future church. Okay, when, you, when we imagine the church of the future, 
and we imagine it being healthy, it will be a church whose people each embrace and prioritize their missionary identity. The healthy church will be individual people in the church, all people in the church engaging their friends, their community, and their city as the missionaries they were created to be. Listen to what, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. And this is after he was raised to new life. He met with them. He'd been, he, he hung around for about a month, if not more, made himself known to hundreds of people. And in that time, he said this, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. As followers of Jesus, we are sent people. We are missionaries. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus puts the Spirit of God in everyone who would choose to follow him with the purpose of carrying on the mission and the purposes that he himself began. The church is sent, empowered by the Spirit. This blessed model really just comes alongside the words of Jesus for us to be sent and gives us some practical ways to do it. We've already worked through a number of chapters. We started with beginning with prayer. We talked about what it means to listen to another person. I'm hoping that you read the chapter about eating together. And today we're going to talk about serving one another. Serving one another. All right? Ready to go? Serving. Here's the big idea of the, the whole blessed model. If you consistently pray for somebody, if you listen well to somebody, if you eat with somebody, which essentially means you find mutual ground with them, right? We have a lot of trouble in this lifetime finding mutual ground with somebody. Eating is one of the best ways to do it. Every one of us has to eat or we die. When you sit around the table with somebody, you are saying, you and me, same thing in this space. Find mutual ground. If you pray for somebody, if you listen to somebody, if you eat with them, you, find, you will end up with a very good idea of how to serve them. This is critically important that we understand how to serve somebody. Because the point isn't just to serve somebody. The point isn't to check a box, serve somebody today. The point isn't necessarily to make somebody feel good by serving. The point isn't necessarily to make yourself feel good today because you served somebody. We don't serve in order to secure God's blessing in my life. And to be honest, we oftentimes serve for that purpose. Are you with me? Sometimes we serve and sometimes we give to hedge ourselves against what might be a God that's upset with us. But I served and I gave, and so I hope to serve. That's not the purpose of serving. 
When we serve someone, we are demonstrating that we've heard them and that we know them. When we serve somebody, we will have listened to them and we've begun to know their life. When the blind man shouted for Jesus to have mercy on him, Jesus walked over to the man and said, what do you need? Which is crazy because it's obvious what he needs. He's blind. Why would Jesus say to a blind man, what do you need? Because Jesus is teaching us that serving is something more than just an act of kindness. Serving is a response to knowing somebody and hearing somebody. Jesus offered this man who was marginalized, who had just recently, within a few minutes, had been told to shut up. Jesus says, pour your heart out, man. Tell me what's going on. Who are you? I want to know you. I want to hear you. Jesus gives us the example. Serving someone in a very specific way is to serve them in a personally meaningful way, in a connected way. It is to love somebody. The purpose of serving is to love. I can go out, I can go out and buy you something that I think you need. I can, I can help you or serve you in some way that it appears to me that you need. I did this for my roommate in college one time. I came back from class and he was standing on his desk throwing papers and books around on this, from this shelf that was above his desk looking for the thing that he had set right there on his desk. The reason he couldn't find it was I had served him and organized his desk for him. <laughs> when I came in, he was throwing, and I said, it's right here, Lair, in the folder for that piece of paper next to the book for that folder. And he said, Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> I can serve you in some way that it seems to me that might be service to you. I can help you in some way that seems helpful to you. And those acts can be perceived as kind. They might even be appreciated at times for general thoughtfulness. But to have discovered through some intentional prayer some, some revelation from God and some intentional relationship, I can serve you in a way that's truly meaningful. And when I do that, it's not just an act of kindness. It's a soul-level compassion. It's the kind of care that the Spirit of God sweeps into and begins to speak and stir in a person's heart. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. In humility, in humility, value others 
above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of the others. In your relationships, Paul says, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Don't consider your own interests. Consider the interests of others. Don't serve your own interests. Serve the interests of others because when you do that, God is at work within you to fulfill his grand purposes. Give this a try sometime. Keep a log, a written log for a week about the things that you do. And see how much of it is self-oriented. I dare you. It is a depressing week ahead for you. (laughs) Write down when you serve someone else and notice that it's going to be when it's convenient for you. Notice how much you serve someone and you will notice that it is in the amount that is not too detrimental to you. Reflect on why you served another person and you will soon discover that it is for your own benefit. There's a part of me that knows I've got to get Mother's Day right. Why? Because I love my wife so much? Yeah. (laughs) But there's a part of me that knows when I don't get those right, I don't get what I want. (laughs) Keep a record. I dare you all day long. Think about what you do, what you spend your time and your resources on, and you're going to find you're at the center of it all. It's embarrassing. And keep remembering, serving someone is not for my benefit, but for others. And most importantly, it is as a pointer to the true giver of all good things. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. To serve, to serve, is to be an integral part of bringing about the purposes of God unless it's about you. And that stops the whole train. When it's about you, God is no longer bringing about his good purposes. You're bringing about yours. So we look to Jesus, obviously, to understand what it means to serve and what it looks like to serve. And the first thing that we see from Jesus' life with regard to our service, is that our primary service must be to God. For a Christian, the first and last one you must serve every day is God. The first one and the last one and every moment in between must be God if you hope to have your life matter. If you hope to have 
anyone experience sincere, genuine love from you, if you hope to bring about the will of God and bring him glory, you must make your service to God a priority throughout the day and in the midst of all of your serving for all the best stuff to occur in and through your life, for all the stuff that God has ordained for you in this lifetime, you must make your first and last service unto God every day and all throughout the day. Your posture should be that you are in fact serving God as you serve others. Jesus tells this parable late in the book of Matthew. And there's this king who says this, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. This is the king saying, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. Come and enjoy all that the father has for you. And the righteous person answers, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you? When did we clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And he says to them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. For everything that God wants to fulfill in your life, everything that he wants to do according to his purposes requires that we serve him first as we're serving others. Jesus himself, it's kind of a shocking revelation. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the son of God, demonstrated this idea of continuous prayer, continuous deference, continuous obedience, continuous service to God the Father. He epitomized this whole idea. Listen to just a few verses among the many that you can find in the New Testament. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will. This is the son of God. This is God himself in the flesh. And he says, I didn't come to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He says, the world will know that I love the father because I do as exactly as the father has commanded me. And in John chapter five, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. Catch that. Jesus is saying, I can do nothing of myself. Jesus. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. This particular answer, this particular truth, this particular statement was Jesus' answer to a bunch of religious leaders who were disgusted, disgusted by Jesus' blatant disregard for Mosaic law regarding the Sabbath when he healed a guy who'd been an invalid for 38 years. This is what he said to them. Jesus confronted these hostile priests and explains to them in the simplest terms how he operates. And he knew they were going to twist these very words 
and end up sending him to the cross. It is this kind of thing that Jesus said that acquainted him with the Father, that ends up getting him killed, but he said it anyway. He told them, this is how I operate. You want to know why I healed a man on the Sabbath? Because God told me to do it. And I've seen God do it. Jesus indicating the secret of his power, essentially, that he lived a life in word and in deed that was continually a point of release for the power of God, not himself. He's saying the origin of who I am, what I do, what I say is God. Direct revelation to the Father, to the Son, into this world. I'm doing what the Father said. That is how I operate. Jesus exposes the insanity of self-sufficiency right here. The core of who many of us have been taught to be, self-sufficient. That is the pinnacle of human life apart from God. I am self-sufficient. I need nothing from anybody. I have everything I want. I've gained it. I have enough resources to have and do whatever I want. Jesus says, self-sufficiency isn't of God. Not even, (laughs) are you catching this? Not even Jesus. If Jesus saw a bracelet on your wrist that said, what would Jesus do? He would say, no, 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 no. What would the Father do? Not me. I'm just doing what the Father's doing. Another version of the Bible translates it this way. The son can do nothing of his own accord. Now, of course, you know that he can. He could do something of his own accord. When he says he can't do anything of his own accord, it would be kind of like if I went to someone of great integrity, uh, Gary Treichler, for example, who oversees our finances. And I said to Gary, hey, Gary, listen, our wives deserve to be treated well, do they not? You say, yes, they do. They, we should take them out to dinner sometime. We absolutely should. Why don't you skim a couple hundred dollars off the offering this week and let's take our wives out for dinner? He would say, I cannot do that. Absolutely cannot do that. Could he? Yeah, but he cannot do it. Jesus is saying the same thing. He could, but he would never do anything apart from God. Can you? Yeah. Should you? No, not as a Christian. You shouldn't do anything apart from God. Have you ever let that sink in? Are you doing anything apart from God? Has God instructed you in every word and in every deed? Probably not. Could he? Yes, actually. This is nothing different than what we're asking the worship team to do, to be completely attentive to God all the time, always in that space, and allow us to join you in that space. Yeah, it would be, it's a lot of work. You'd have to read scripture and pray as often, if not more often than you pursue the news or words of social media. If those kinds of outlets are feeding you more than scripture, then I don't know how you could possibly be thinking and acting and living according to God. What is dominating your life? 
What's going into your head? The first step in the power of God is the recognition that any effort made to use God power, God's power for our own benefit will leave you with nothing. Apart from like a hollow, empty feeling. I mean, if that's what you're shooting for, you can have that. But you're never going to achieve anything for God. You may mount to the top of whatever heap you aspire to and gain the admiration and intention of the whole world. But if you don't first and continually serve and turn to God, your life will be unsatisfied. It'll be absolutely insipid, a void of quality, of no use to God. Paul sees this happening. This is not new to our culture that we have shifted away from God. Listen to the way Paul puts it in the beginning of the book of Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified God or worshipped him, rather. You could say it that way. They never worshipped him. They, they didn't worship him, although they knew God. Right? This doesn't mean that they didn't have a church, that they didn't have a, a, a calling in life, a, a missional calling in life, that they didn't have ways that they were serving others. In fact, they had those things just like us, but they forgot what worship meant. They forgot what the point of worship is. They didn't glorify God. What is worship? When we worship, what are we doing? Singing? Usually, but that's not the sum total of worship. Of course you know that. Why are we singing? What are the words that we're singing? What are the scriptures we're hearing? What are we doing when we worship? Well, what we should be doing is elevating God to the position of highest authority. Highest authority. To elevate God to the highest place in your life. Not in an emotional way, in a very practical way. It's not to have God be part of the good content that you have in very different ways in your life, but to make God, his word, his son, the highest authority in your life. To worship God isn't to give him some weight in your life, but the most weight in your life. What are you giving the most weight what creates the deepest anxieties? What creates the greatest fears? What drives the most activity in your life? That is what you're giving the greatest weight. To worship God is to give him the most weight so that he wins every moral argument in your soul. That his way is chosen and elevated above every other way that's provided to you from the world. That is what worship is. And it says, for all they knew God, they neither glorified, worshiped him as God, nor did they give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Then their hearts were darkened and they claimed to be wise. They claimed to be woke. They claimed to be, and they became fools. Our world right now tells us every day in the pages of we know what's right and good. We'll I'll tell you what it means to be good and right. 
We know more than every other generation in the world. Yet, we're fools because we've not given God the greatest. Why, why? Our mind goes bad, then our hearts go bad. And we end up filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, all these self-oriented things full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. You see any of that stuff going on around us today? We become gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. We invent ways of doing evil, the scripture says. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Mercy. Why? We're not worshiping. We're not making God first in all things. If we don't serve God first, our service ends up selfish, worldly, gross, immoral, and amounts to nothing in the end. If we don't worship him, we don't make him number one, we don't give him the most weight, something else is at the center of your universe and it will ultimately be about what's best for you, what reflects best on you, what ultimately leads to more people serving and applauding me. And there is no escape from this apart from God himself. Even the son can do nothing of his own accord. I'm going to finish with this. When it comes to serving, the life that is humbly deferred to God is the one whose service leads to God moments in your life and in the lives of those you serve. Only the life humbly deferred to God in all things, all the time, is the one whose service to God leads to the God moments for others. In my lifetime, I have no reflection of a season of life to where more voices are blatantly calling for a person's allegiance. Are you with me? I've, I've, I have not seen a season in my life where people are being called into the allegiance of certain things, some good, some bad, but being called to make it the center of their life, all that they talk about. People are proudly offering their lives to something and proselytizing others at will. And the most shocking thing of the whole thing is that Christians are seemingly indistinguishable from this whole movement. Even the son said, I cannot do what I am intended to do without seeking the father. And of course, then neither can you or I. When it comes to serving, if you want your service to be more than humanitarian work that makes you feel good about your life, if you want your service to be something other than, uh, or, or something that leads to God moments, for others, if you want your service to be something that leads to enlightenment in someone else's life, that leads to uh, your own repentance and the repentance of others, to cast aside all the things that would grapple, that would grab and grapple for their heart and give it to God, and said, if you want your service to lead to others' acceptance of Jesus, 
There is no other way than to first humbly get on your knees and offer your life wholly to God and at least metaphorically never get up. I don't know if I'm making myself clear here, but we are in danger of being a people. We are in danger of being um, a church that is like so many of the church that are listed in Revelation, that they're about good things, but they've lost their first love for God. He's just one part of our life. When people look at the Christian life, they should just get sick and tired of hearing the same mantra. Well, I have to pray about that. Why are you doing this? Because I've, God has led me to do this. Why are you serving? Jesus brought me here. Why are you behaving like that? Jesus why do you say those things? Because Jesus said those things. I just think they should go, okay, 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 we get it. What do you think? What do you want to do? What are your passions? And we say, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what my passions are. Doesn't matter what my aspirations are. I'm a Christian. I'm all in. I've said to Jesus, I'm following you into spaces that I don't want to go. Following into spaces that are hard for me. Is that what epitomizes our life? If someone's describe your life, how would they describe it? God, this is our prayer as a church that when people look at our lives collectively and individually, they are compelled to look for what is behind it. And it is our prayer that they would find you. They would find you at the core of our life as the motivating force of our life, as the animator of our life. Because what we want in the end, just like you, is what's best for you. What brings you glory and what brings you attention. We want for you, God, to be maximized. And we know in your economy, that means I must be minimized. Thank you, God, for saving us because we can't do that, but you can in us. Help us, God, to be spirit-empowered, spirit-filled people that are defined by our obedience to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you joined us online, thank you for being here. We appreciate you being a part of the family, no matter how you are doing it. Uh, live stream the next two weeks, no in-person stuff. And then May 30th, boom, every week right here at North Central Facility. Have a great whatever. <laughs>